Welcome back to Revolution and Ideology. I am Nick. I'm Jared. And in this episode, we are analyzing the apocalyptic themes in the Netflix film Black Crab. Black Crab is directed by Adam Berg. It's a Swedish film. Uh, it just came out in 2022, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, the reason that we are talking about this film that is somewhat obscure, I guess, it's not like a major Hollywood blockbuster or anything, is because we are in the middle of a series analyzing the role of the apocalypse in cinema. And I so I that saw it, that. I don't know what? that it's too obscure. It was like, well, at least on my list here in whatever stateside, it's like you know, I, number one right now on the list right now. Really? Like, yeah, on, on Netflix. Can I just say that I don't believe those numbers at all when you log into Netflix and it's like number two okay. in the U.S. right now? I have zero faith in those. But anyways, cool. Yeah. Hopefully well, it's doing well. It was when I watched it. So yeah. anyway, but, but back to the story. It's not a big Hollywood film. It's a Swedish film. Yeah. Right. We're in the middle of doing a series on the apocalypse in cinema and analyzing some themes there and different theories. And so I saw that this film was coming out and it was post-apocalyptic. And so we decided like, hey, we're trying to put together a framework for how to analyze things to look for in apocalyptic films. So we decided, hey, let's do it with this one and see how it goes. A brief synopsis. I'm not going to go through the whole plot, though I will warn you that we are going to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it yet. But just a brief synopsis. This comes from IMDb. It says, quote, in a post-apocalyptic world, six soldiers on a covert mission must transport a mysterious package across a frozen archipelago. Um, and then at one point, so they're in, it's post-apocalyptic because a civil war has taken place. But then in the, at some point, they discover that their payload that they're carrying is a biological weapon that their military intends to release on the general public. And so then the apocalypse becomes preventing the military from doing this, which, spoiler alert, they do end up doing in the end. The main character, um, Ed, sacrifices herself to destroy the bioweapon. So at first, it's post-apocalyptic because it's during a civil war, but then it's also trying to avoid the apocalypse that would be a result of this biological weapon. So it's like, I don't know, there's many layers there uh, in the apocalyptic themes that are going on. Um, anything to add yet? So I think, I mean, the question that I kept having and, and, and even my partner, we were watching it together that we kept having was like, who are they fighting? Why are they fighting? Mm -hmm. And the, and the, and actually in fairness to the film, they don't bother with any of that. It's just a yep. fight and you just have to deal with the fact that this is a fight. It doesn't matter why it doesn't even matter who the other side is or the ideological, um, incongruencies that might be taking place between the two sides. It, the, the film actually is completely absent of any commentary there. And even mm -hmm. though at first it was kind of frustrating as a traditional film watcher, after a while it kind of, I don't know. I think I guess it was refreshing in that I didn't have to have any maybe moral or ethical attachment to either side in this case. And I just got to watch the actual action um, unfold. Yeah, I made so a I note of that, too, because I thought it was interesting that like the details of what brings about the apocalypse basically right. are left to interpretation. They don't talk about that other than it's a civil war. Like you said, there's no like who I are the bodies and who are the, you know. Yeah, I don't even feel like they give the quote-unquote other side a name. They're always just no, called the enemy yeah. or our opposition or whatever. So they don't say like, I don't know, Swedish Liberation Front mm -hmm. or something like that. They don't even add that in there because they don't want you to infer any sort of meeting. And I think that was actually a pretty shrewd tactic by the writers. I, yeah, I think it's definitely intentional also because it provides an interesting dynamic that once they discover the biological weapon and that their military is about to use it, you at that point don't actually have like a moral investment on either side of the war. So for right. all you know, like this is just revealed that they are the fascists or whatever, right? Like yeah. you don't know. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good point. Okay, the first sort of trope that we are going to analyze in the film is 
it's really common in apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic films that there is a survivor, a companion, and an other that is challenging them. So clearly we have the survivor in this film. Uh, the main character's name is Caroline Ed. She's the, the main protagonist is the quote-unquote survivor, though there are many others. It's not just like she's the last person on earth, but she is the survivor. The members of her covert mission team, uh, the Black Crab, that's the name of their like mission, um, they are her companions, right? They're on this journey with her. So I forget how many there are, four or five or six to start. Six of them in the beginning yeah. or something. Those yeah. are her companions, right? They're out on there uh, together taking part in this mission. And then the quote unquote others are the enemy soldiers. They're being tracked the whole time. They have to be out on the ice because that's where they can avoid being detected uh, for the most part by the enemy soldiers. And so they're the other this whole time that's, you know, the conflict is the enemy soldiers that are trying to stop them from delivering their payload. So definitely blatant here, survivor companion and other. Another really common trope in apocalyptic films, this is the idea of the quote unquote frontier, right? A common theme is that all or part of a story takes place, you know, out there on the frontier where norms have broken down, property relations have broken down, like they no longer exist. Everything is sort of like, you know, free for the taking. Uh, really good examples of this are like The Road or The Book of Eli or something like that. I mean, even Zombieland, which we just did an episode on, right? He's walking down the highway yeah. out of the city and stuff. So this definitely does that. And it does it in kind of an interesting way because it is the ice that they are traveling on. Um, and the, their commander says, you know, this is made possible through a temporary, not temporary, a rare climate event, right? He says in the movie, for the first time in 37 years, the archipelago is frozen over. So you're going to take to the ice. And the main character's background is apparently that she's like a really good ice skater. She's the fastest and most capable of all of them. Um, so they definitely do this. And there's a point at one point they go to a cottage at night and they take that over. No one's there. It's abandoned. They take that over uh, as their own. There's a ship that's abandoned. They go in there. They come in, make themselves at home at this elderly couple's house uh, that ends up going bad for them. But that's neither here nor there. So, yes, this happens, right? They are at the base, then they must go out and travel to the frontier uh, on the ice to deliver their uh, payload. So that exists. Anything there? No, I think when they went to these different spots, um, maybe the elderly couples, I felt like there were cues hearkening back to the old, old storytelling devices as far back as like the Odyssey, where you mm -hmm. get into these like situations. Um, I'm not saying that this old couple was some sort of like, I don't know, siren or anything along those lines, right? Like wasn't meant to mm -hmm. like be... Uh, one of the witches that would like, you know, I don't know, you know what I'm saying. But yeah. like, I think there was like some of those storytelling elements there that at these stops on this epic journey, wherever this epic journey is taking one, um, the hero's journey, for example, that there are going to be these places and these individuals that are meant to be impediments to completion of the mission and to create this idea and uh, this storytelling device of like obstacles, right? Overcoming these obstacles mm -hmm. and not just like physical obstacles. This is like an, what at first what you consider to be like just this nice old elderly couple that's just been getting by um and you're worried about what's going to transpire but once you calm down you find out i mean once the situation calms down you find out that they are actually aggressive and then a thing takes place as you said it doesn't go well um for multiple sides on this but this overcoming of obstacles i think was was an interesting part of the storytelling device and i think it was a nod back to the old hero's journey stuff mm -hmm. um another metaphor or not metaphor another trope that happens in apocalyptic films is uh, flashbacks um, this really functions to give us an idea of what life was like 
for the main characters before the apocalypse takes place. And I think it functions to illustrate, you know, the divide, the break between life before and life now, right? It shows the breakdown of norms, et cetera. Uh, this film clearly has this. It shows snippets of the main character's life before the Civil War, right back in quote unquote normal times. Um, by the way, she gets separated from her daughter and her daughter is allegedly at the base that she is traveling to. So it provides her incentive to get to that base. So it shows some clips of her and her daughter, both before the apocalypse and actually before she gets separated from her after the apocalypse. So it shows them a little bit before and then afterwards also looking for food and stuff together, right? Um, Which is also a different aspect of the companion trope um, because it shows just for a few minutes her and her daughter, you know, her and her companion, her daughter going and looking for food, et cetera, after the apocalypse takes place. Anything there? No, none. Then uh, we want to talk about when does the film take place, right? If we're talking about apocalyptic cinema, we have to analyze, is it pre-apocalypse, post-apocalypse, during the apocalypse, and so forth. The very first scene of the film is sort of pre-apocalypse. The opposing side of the Civil War is just beginning their attacks, uh, but then that scene only lasts a couple of minutes before, then it just transitions, flips the switch to go post-apocalyptic, and the vast majority of the film takes place, other than the flashbacks, uh, post-apocalypse. So, interesting there. Uh, Anything on that one? No. The precipitating event. So, you know, every apocalyptic fiction, right, it's important for us to understand what happens because what happens in the film helps us to understand a lot of the importance of the narrative. In this case, like we've said multiple times, the precipitating event of the apocalypse was uh, the Civil War. Um, And then later on, they're trying to ward off an apocalypse that would be biological warfare. So there's kind of two here, but the main one, the reason they're in post-apocalyptic setting is because of the civil war. The other thing we need to go ahead. Well, I was going to say the interesting part of this is, is based on the civil war. Again, we're assuming that the civil war is taking place somewhere in, in Sweden or perhaps Mm -hmm. all all of the Nordic countries, who knows. Um, But I think the interesting part here is there's no context of what's going on globally. And again, I think Mm -hmm. that was intentional. I don't think they're like, it's rare that it happens um, because of just like the world's smaller right now, obviously, and we all have the internet and geopolitics is a big deal, um, especially as a storytelling device. But I think the writers intentionally left out, ooh, I wonder how, I don't know, the Russians feel about what's going on here or we might getting help from the Brits or the Americans yeah, or something. Where's NATO in this whole Every thing? film actually mentions that. Or even in mm-hmm. U.S. films, we'll be like, I wonder what the Chinese are doing. It's something along those lines. This film intentionally does does none of that. So in terms mm-hmm. of like it actually being apocalypse, it's actually not entirely clear if this is just a strictly this is happening in Sweden kind of thing or if this is actually like a big global situation, like the world is, is, is fractured at this point. It's never really made clear. I actually think that's an interesting storytelling device, mm-hmm. and I use interesting intentionally i don't know if i like it or dislike it i'm still i'm still actually sitting on that one for a little bit i don't know yeah next anytime that we are talking about apocalyptic fiction we have to decide whether it's religious or secular this one is clearly secular in nature right the apocalypse isn't brought upon by god or any of the plagues or anything like that Uh, in fact i can't even think of a time that god is mentioned in the entire movie or anything religious really whatsoever so clearly a secular film there um, the next category is, is it serious or satire? We did an article talking about the seven functions, not an article, an episode talking about the seven functions of media. Uh, and we talked about comedy and satire there. We also did an episode on Zombieland talking about zombie comedies. So check those out. 
but this is clearly a serious uh, a film. There's not a lot of comedy there at all. I don't, in fact, I can't even really think of a single instance. There was nothing remotely comedic about it, except for like, I, this is going to sound rude, but I did think like using ice skating as the primary mm-hmm. vehicle for, I thought that was a little amusing. And, and right. I, I give them credit for being original. I guess I'd never considered like skating across, a, I think it's a hundred kilometers mm-hmm. on ice skates to deliver this amazing package, like amazing, like it's a terrible package. It's a biological weapon, but like this wildly important package, I should right. say, I, I guess I'd never considered it. I don't know if that was That's only because you're not from Nordic countries. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm fair, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> then we did an episode, um, about an article, uh, the scholar's first name is escaping me right now, but her last name I have here is Capeba. Mm-hmm. Um, and she analyzes humanistic and anti-humanistic themes in apocalyptic media. Right. Um, and anti-humanistic being where they present humanity itself as sort of the plague and negative and at the end of humanity in a positive light. Um, humanistic is a film that is focused on saving humanity. So this film is clearly humanistic, right? They, in the end, destroy the biological weapon to save humanity. So clearly a humanistic apocalyptic film in this case. Also mm-hmm. from Capeva comes the theme of anthropocentrism. So anthropocentrism, uh, anthropocentric or not, uh, if the film is from the perspective of human protagonists, then it is anthropocentric. This film is anthropocentric. So an example of something that isn't anthropocentric would be like Wally, right? It's from the perspective of the robot, Wally. Yep. But this film is clearly anthropocentric. Uh, there's no robots or anything here. Now, moving on to seven functions of apocalyptic media. Um, And this comes from the article. uh, We did an episode on it, but we used in that episode the article, Global Catastrophe in Motion Pictures as Meaning and Message, the Functions of Apocalyptic Cinema in American Film uh, by the author's name is Hamonich. And so the first one, to make sense of world order, uh, world and to order chaos. So his argument here is that one of the functions of apocalyptic cinema is that for us to come to terms with our finite human existence. We have to have a beginning and a middle of in, an end to, you know, the human plot, I suppose. So in that sense, every apocalyptic film provides that bookend of humanity, right? It gives us something that refers to at least the end of this story. So as much as any apocalyptic film serves this function, this one does as well, right? Just the fact that it is sort of an apocalyptic narrative, it fulfills this function for sure. Anything there? No. Yeah. I mean, the Civil War is part of that that idea of end, and it, it probably is to make sense of obviously similar events taking place in the world today. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, they chose Sweden as, as the spot rather than any of the uh, hot spots currently, but it, it is. It's it's to order that chaos, I think, is why it's there. And mm-hmm. maybe there's a little bit of a cautionary tale that's added. Yeah. The second one is to attempt to work through historical traumas or to negotiate our way around human horrors. So as an example, like a Nazi apocalyptic film, Uh, depending on the plot, I suppose, but in general would serve this function, right? Help us as human humanity really to work through this horror and trauma that has happened historically. Not really a lot of that here. I don't think a sort of sub function here is uh, functional quote unquote equipment for living. So a lot of apocalyptic narratives provide us with real knowledge and skills of how to survive the apocalypse. This film doesn't even really do that either. Unless like, you know, I need to learn how to ice skate so that I can travel faster if there's a 
you know, the freezing of the, I, I don't know. It doesn't really well, fit there at all. There's, you're think. not going to watch this film and learn how to be a survivalist or a prepper. No, yeah, so, definitely not. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think that it downplays how much more they would have had to do to survive in real life in the cold, like the coats right. they were wearing and the things that they do at night. I'm like, there's no way they would have survived this, uh, this cold. But anyways, the next subfunction is dysfunctional equipment for living. And the idea here is that in films in which governments or institutions or NGOs or whatever come in and save the day, that it actually creates a sense of, I don't even know what to call it, dependence, I guess, among people who watch the film where they think, right, like, I don't actually have to do any of these things because the government will come and save us. I don't really think that that happens either in this film, other than like the military aspect of, you know, the military is fighting this war. But I mean, that's common for, that's not, unique to any apocalyptic narrative that's just the way it is so i don't think it actually fits number two really at all number three to document our hopes fears discourses ideologies and socio-political conflicts this one it uh does for sure so the theory here is that you know apocalyptic narratives reflect our anxieties for what's going on in our society right so this definitely does, you know it reflects i think uh anxiety people have about civil war right this political divide that we're seeing everywhere. Uh, it's not just unique to the United States. It exists in every country at this point. You know, there is some fear there that society could break out in civil war. Um, I think it also a little bit here is a uh, separation from family and child. This seems to actually be a th common theme in apocalyptic media. This happens in the film for sure. She gets separated from her child and that's a, a plot point. Um, then fear of virus, pandemic, and biological weapons. That plays here clearly where, you know, pandemic is fresh on everyone's mind right now um, that plays a point here in the film and then i added here this kind of a stretch but the ruthlessness of total militarization right and like the immorality of the military and national leaders to where part of the plot of the film is the fact that these leaders of this military had zero problem releasing this biological weapon on the public right even though they knew it was going to cost millions of lives their side quote unquote was going to win Right. And that's really all that they cared about. So I think there's, you know, it definitely fulfills number three here. Document our hopes and reflect our anxieties. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that last edition is, is out of line by any stretch of the imagination. We've seen it, obviously, in actual historical examples. I mean, mm -hmm. back to back world wars, how far right. military or political leaders are willing to go to get a W. Right. Which is mm -hmm. and, and most of the tactics are completely absent of any morality. I mean, Again, when it comes to like, quote unquote, winning, we will rationalize any sort of behavior from mm -hmm. nuclear weapons or, you know, back to back um, atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki to um, the use of chemical weapons in World War One by the mm -hmm. British and the Germans. I mean, like it's it's it's. Yeah. So yep. I don't think that was out of line by any stretch of the imagination. Number four, to critique the existing social order. I don't actually think it does this a lot other than, like I said, the political divide that exists right now. But other than that, there's not a lot of really social commentary here. I didn't think. Did you see anything? No, significant nothing there? regarding uh, nothing regarding class, race, gender, sex. Yeah. None of that. Yeah, none of that. None Number five, to respond to social crisis, warning people to change their ways in order to avert an imminent apocalypse. Not really this one other than it could be argued that the presence of the civil war is a warning against the political divide that exists right now that like, you know, if we don't overcome this divide, then this is inevitable kind of thing. There's a tiny little baby commentary on climate change, 
when the military leader says, you know, this for the first time in 37 years, the, the archipelago is frozen over, right? Clearly this uh, greater, more common presence of these climate events is being alluded to there, I assume, at least. So there's a little bit there, but not a lot there on this one either. But it, it's there. Yeah, just the cautionary tale on um, divide, just the notion of divide, yeah. right? And the idea of civil war. Um, it doesn't even bother with left-right paradigms. It just mm -hmm. divide. It's just yep. divide. Yeah. Number six, to argue that the end of the world is not near or and to refute or ridicule apocalyptic hysteria. So this is the satire one, you know, films like this is the end and so forth. Definitely not this one. This is not a satire uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it is very serious. And then the last one, to bring people to a religious renewal, spiritual awakening, and salvation message. Clearly not this one because it's a secular version of the apocalyptic narrative. So there's no religious, you know, spiritual awakening message here that happens at all throughout the film. Um, yeah, I mean, so that's really it. Those are the common apocalyptic themes that we see, the tropes that you see in apocalyptic films, and their presence in Black Crab. Anything to add? Uh, no, I think we hit it all uh, in terms of like a film. If anyone is is tuning in to know what we think, it was just kind of, I mean, you said it best on social media, meh, it was just a movie. It passed mm -hmm. time. Uh, like, again, nothing mind blowing took place. The story was super predictable. We all knew what was going to happen. She was going to make it. She'd be the only one to make it. And, uh, and she would have to make a very difficult uh, choice regarding this biological weapon um, mm -hmm. and that her daughter wasn't going to be there. Like, I mean, I spoiled the whole damn thing. But like, I, if you haven't watched it yet, like, I mean, go ahead and watch it and, and maybe put it on while you're doing something else. It might I be mean, it's like many movies now, you know, because of it's the whole so streaming wars and everything, now. right? Almost every movie now has like really high production value. So like cinematography and all of that is like really really actually high quality but the plot is just like nah it's nothing new it's entertaining for sure but it's just like yeah interesting you know i think i gave it two stars on my little rating app or whatever yeah it's I mean, it watching was... but it's not gonna blow your mind yeah i mean it was just a movie if you like that episode consider supporting us on patreon thank you thank you thank you to our patreon supporters i am nick i'm jared later